Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I um, hope you guys had a great week. If this is your first time here watching, um, thank you so much for uh, spending a portion of your Sunday here with us. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and so grateful you decided to join us here today. We're in week number two of this Stronger series, uh, which we've been doing annually since the start uh, of Hill City. So this is, the, I think, the seventh time that we've done this. But the premise of this whole um, like series is to develop stronger relationships, all right? So the thing I wrote down that I thought was important uh, when we think about this entire series is, is simply this, our quality of life will rise or fall based on the strength of our relationships. And we all know that to be true, uh, but I think it's important to hear it because we know that the stronger my relationships are, the healthier my life is, the the more fulfilling my life is. And, and so we really want to uh, take a look at different perspectives and angles each week around this and what kind of plays into our relationships. And sometimes it's our relationship with God, sometimes our relationship with others, sometimes our relationship with our ourselves. And uh, so over the years, we've every year we try to like look at this a little bit differently. And this year is uh, no different. Um, before I get into today's topic, I want to highlight this book right here that has been one of my favorite books that I've actually read in the last couple of years. It's called After Doubt uh, by A.J. Swoboda, because I'm going to talk about deconstruction and doubt today. And so um, that's an, I, I promise you, you will love this book. All right. Even if you're not a reader, it's an awesome book. So anyway, do you guys remember growing up where you believed in something or thought something was true, and then you look back and it's like, man, what an idiot, right? Uh, I remember when I was a young kid, I would, uh, as I was running, I thought if I tilted my head back, it would be like a, like a fifth gear that I could get into. So I'd be running, 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 and I'd like throw my head back as if that would make me run faster. Well, that's actually not really how running and sprinting uh, works. And so I asked our staff, what are some things like when you were a kid that you believed that you're maybe even semi-embarrassed that you, you did at any point. One person said that pollen were caterpillars that uh, didn't make it to the shade fast enough. Um, my wife, Lacey, actually had an uh, imaginary friend named Heem, who she really thought was her friend. She actually would put a place for him at the table and everything. And um, now she swears that when we get to heaven, there's going to be an angel and she's going to be able to tell uh, me that she told me so. But anyway, uh, so she had an imaginary friend. Maybe you did too. Uh, another person talked about how uh, her parents were like, if you, you know, if you ate something and then jumped right in the pool, you're going to have cramps and, and probably die. Um, one was uh, the orange spheres on the power lines were tiny jails for people. And um, clearly she had a scaling problem during that point of her life. Um, sports mascots, uh, another one that lived under the bleachers. And uh, that's where they always were. So parents could tell their kids not to go uh, under there. My favorite one was probably this one, though. Uh, Hanes underwear uh, were run by an evil queen because the slogan, uh, Hanes her way, uh, was that was on there was actually a cry from help for help from the workers because she was an evil dictator. So anyway, we can have these things that as a kid that we're like, man, they made sense to us, but then you get older and they don't. Well, what was that? It's knowledge. It's wisdom. It's it's growing up. It's learning new things. And and I started to think about this that we don't actually do that very well with our faith. There are things that we were taught as kids and, and in the church world, and maybe you have experienced this, the idea of doubting, the idea of questioning or exploring is not something that is really um, like elevated as a great way to kind of operate in our faith. And so 
What I want to do today is really talk about how we can doubt well and why it's so fulfilling to be able to doubt and explore and and get a deeper sense of faith. Because in the end, I really do want us to have a a stronger faith. Um, One of the other things that I was thinking about is that our faith will only be as strong as our curiosity or our, our level of curiosity. And that becomes like a critical point. Now, when I say that we want strong faith, so what do I mean by strong faith? Well, I think the first thing is that we're unoffendable. All right, unoffendable. Now, you might be thinking, that's impossible. Like, have you seen our culture right now? And I would probably agree with you, but that is a reality. The stronger we are in our faith and and secure in our faith, the less we're offended by stuff. And that's a a very important thing. I, I think another thing that is important when it comes to strong faith is that we are inquisitive, all right? So inquisitive. Sometimes it's hard to talk and spell at the same time. Um, Inquisitive, that you have this level of curiosity about you. You are constantly questioning, constantly learning, um, constantly trying to see different perspectives and take them in. You can do that because you have a strong faith. I think a third thing is that you're resilient, all right? People that I know that have... um, really strong faith that there's a resilience, this idea of when something's resilient, it can like bend over and it pops back up. And, and that's kind of like as we go through life and as we go through tough times and everything, there's this resilience to our faith where we're throwing something, like something's thrown at us, but we're able to pop back in uh, to uh, where we should be. And the, and the last thing is that it's growing, all right? It's growing. If you have not been growing in your faith, like I am not the same in my faith as I was 10 years ago or five years ago or really two years ago. And how does that happen? We all have to continuously want to grow in our faith. You have never arrived, okay? To the day you die, you will learn new things about the Bible. Um, To the day you die, you will learn new things about how God works. And because God doesn't work the same ways for like everyone. And so it's important that we're always growing and learning from different perspectives and how people actually experience God in their lives. So that builds a, a strong faith. We, we desperately need this curiosity culture. Uh, I was reading uh, this week uh, in a Gallup poll uh, about how uh, 47% of people are now consider themselves attached to a church. Uh, in 20 years ago, it was 68%. All right, so think about the, the level to which this drop has happened. It is, it is unbelievable. We're going to get into some, some reasons why here in just a second. But we are at a pivotal and really, there should be a wake-up call for us as Christians to understand how people view Christianity, um, how people uh, are experiencing Christianity, and how they see uh, the church. And so when I talk about curiosity and this idea of exploring together, the reason that I want us to have that embedded is, is in who we are is because it requires humility. And when we approach our faith with humility, the end result is real strength. When we come at humility, the end result is really, you can love someone else that might disagree with you or come from a different angle because you're humble in your position. You know, uh, there's this passage in Mark chapter six, if you're not familiar with your Bibles, um, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are four letters that were written by these guys to explain the life of Jesus and his teachings. In Mark, in Mark chapter six, it's a super interesting story. 
Look what it says. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. All right, so that becomes important. His hometown accompanied by his disciples. All right, so Jesus is going to, back to Nazareth and he's going with his crew, his people, his followers. All right, the people have dedicated their lives to being with him. When Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? So they're all hearing about these things of Jesus. That continues on. Isn't this the carpenter? So these people are like, hold on a second. We know this guy. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, meaning they looked at him and they're like, whoa, you have no business uh, being here. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, um, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there. All right, let me highlight that because that's an important piece. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So we get to see in his hometown, they're they're not interested in Jesus. They like the idea of Jesus, but they have this picture of who this Savior is supposed to be. So everyone's talking about Jesus. He's doing all these big miracles and making these big proclamations. But these people who think they're in the know because they, they say they know Jesus, but they don't really know him. Well, the story continues, and he looks around at his disciples, and they, they leave his hometown in Nazareth, and, and they start going uh, different places. And it picks up in verse 6. says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no, no, um, no bag, no money, uh, uh, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not, an, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if, any, uh, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust. It's like kind of, that was the first little, I know we do that now, but, or we did do that. Uh, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now, why does this part matter in curiosity and doubt and deconstruction and, and, and how does it tie into our faith? Well, I actually think it's a, a really big deal. When I told you guys that what we're seeing is people are not interested in church. They're not interested in Jesus and they're actually really rejecting Jesus. They're, I heard uh, or I read an article from Russell Moore this week that I, I thought was just so brilliantly written. And I'm paraphrasing one part uh, that he says, but essentially what he's saying in his article is that people aren't rejecting Jesus. They're, they're looking at the church and they're saying that the church has rejected Jesus. And so they don't want any part of the church. And this is what, when I, when I read that, I was like, this reminds me of Nazareth. Like, the American church right now, now are there pockets of good places? Of course, okay, there, there, there are, they're doing it well. But as a whole, American Christianity is severely broken. As a whole, it is actually driving people away from Jesus. Why? Because we've rejected the teachings of Jesus. So we say we know Jesus, but we're just like Nazareth. So in the end, what we're seeing right now, and this is why I love the Bible, and why it's so um, applicable to our time today, is the American church right now is like a bunch of Nazareths, all right? They say they know Jesus, but they don't really know him. They say they follow Jesus, but they don't really follow him. They say they're interested in what Jesus has to offer, but really only on their own terms in the way that they want him. 
And so I think in the end, this is what we begin to see culturally that has happened. We are, uh, Christianity is matching the arrogance and anger that we see in social media from non-Christians. We, we see so many things that are so detrimental, so anti what Jesus taught, but yet we are engaging it, again, as a whole. Uh, I know people are doing it well, but as a whole, we're engaging it in this way that people are looking at it, but you aren't doing what Jesus actually taught. And we go back on our ivory towers and we're acting like, whoa, whoa, you sinners, maybe someday you'll repent and you'll come back to us as if, as if like they, they have no right to question it. And the reality is um, I was listening to, or I, I was thinking about this quote by Dallas Willard, uh, who said this, that most problems in the contemporary church can be explained by the fact that members never decided to follow Christ. I think that's a reality. I think, and he said that a while ago. And I think that that is a very true statement. And my, you know, someone was asking me recently, what do you hope for in this season of the church? And because you know, there's still this, we don't know what's going to happen with just kind of the church at large, just so many questions and confusion of just where we are right now. Because right now what ends up happening is you talk to some Christians and they'll say like, well, secular, it's all about secular culture and secular thought. And man, look what social media is doing and, and all this other stuff. And, and is there some credence to that? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I still believe that the hope of Jesus and the truth of Jesus, when we actually follow him, will prevail over all of that stuff. See, when we live with the hope of Jesus, we no longer live in fear of what secular culture can do. So when I hear people like so fearful for the church, my response is, is well, you're not coming from a Jesus perspective then. Because if we have hope, we have hope in Jesus. We, we have the hope of, of who the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that actually means that is, can have victory over all of these other things. And so I think it's important for us then to like take this in and take a step back and be like, hold on, maybe we need to start exploring. Maybe we need to start doubting some of the things we were raised with. Maybe some, uh, we have to engage scripture on a, a deeper level. Maybe we need to start thinking through our faith very differently than we ever have uh, before. Uh, I understand why it's hard. I, even when we talk about doubt and deconstruction, a lot of times people are like, why don't you trust God? Why would you ever doubt the Bible? Why would you ever doubt scripture? Why? And, and I get all those things, but here's the thing. Everyone in the Bible doubted. Like Abraham doubted. Uh, um, Moses doubted. Sarah doubted. Uh, all of the disciples doubted. Um, I mean, you can go down the line. Like everyone doubted in the Bible. So this isn't like uh, just a modern Christianity thing. Like the, the idea of doubting and deconstructing and exploring is, is pivotal to who we are of growing in our faith, having a strong, resilient, inquisitive, um, growing, uh, unoffendable faith. Like those things like require us to deconstruct, require us to doubt, require us to constantly be engaged in this process. But I know it's hard. It's, it's a scary thing. Um, sometimes when we we think uh, Andy Stanley uh, describes faith. He's a preacher in Atlanta. He describes faith for a lot of Christianity as like a house of cards. And he's like, you can line up all the cards uh, very specifically so they all stand. But if you pull the one card, then people's faith just comes trum you know, crumbling down. And that's a sad part of where we are because I think it's actually really true. So it's, but it's scary to engage because like, well, what if I engage? And what if I begin to question? And what if I begin to wonder, like, what's going to happen to my faith? Well, I think, yes, it can be daunting. 
However, the fruit that's on the other side of this is so wonderful to, to begin to doubt with Jesus rather than to doubt Jesus, to begin to question things with Jesus rather than to question Jesus. Like there are these things that we begin to learn and grow in that are just so fruitful for our lives. Um, we might be thinking that honestly, uh, this might be hard to do because it could be dishonoring to how you were raised. And you think to yourself, well, if I start questioning this part, my parents raised me this way and that feels weird and I don't want to be dishonoring to them. And I get it. That makes that makes sense. Or sometimes people are like, I don't think God can handle all of my questions. He can, right? He can handle all uh, of your questions. I think sometimes for people, it's a loss of innocence too, where we begin to think, man, I used to think one way, and uh, you begin to learn and grow and in, in, um, in, in your doubting experience or deconstruction experience. And you begin this process and you kind of like it's like a loss of innocence. You look back at yourself and you're like, ah, oh, I was so innocent and naive when I used to think that way or believe that way about something. And, and sometimes, and, and let me also say this too. Sometimes when we go through this process, it'll enhance what you already thought, already believed. It'll, it'll bring more foundation to it. You're not always wiping it clean. Um, but it's important to engage and important to, to think this way because if you don't, you'll get stale. If you don't, uh, you'll get you you have this very you have a tunneled vision on what Christianity is supposed to, to look like. And the problem in the church has been we have not elevated curiosity. We have not encouraged curiosity. Um, and here, I actually believe that being certain kill, like being certain, will actually kill um, or diminish the greatness of God. And you might be thinking, "Whoa, what do you mean? You can't be certain about anything?" I'm not saying that. You you could be. I am certain that that Jesus he died and he rose again. Otherwise, Christianity does not exist. I have to be certain about my belief in Jesus as the Son of God. I have to be, I'm certain about that those who say they follow Christ need to actually follow him and, and do what he taught. I'm certain that we're supposed to try and bring about the kingdom of God on this earth uh, right here. And I'm certain about those things, but there are a lot of things that I can say like, you know, there's some play there. Um, there, it's not a salvation issue. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian if we disagree on certain things. I had a great email exchange with someone recently um, uh, about the death penalty. All right? I had a different perspective than, than he did. I'm not questioning his salvation, and he's not questioning mine. We just had different perspectives, right? And so, so understanding uh, that like, we can't be certain about everything, all right? We can be certain about God's love and, and some things, but not everything. So we want this humility. We want this curiosity. We want this elevated in us. Um, even with our kids, they'll ask some big, big questions right now. Not Ruby. She does not do that at three years old. Um, but, but our kids are 12 year olds. They're asking big questions a lot of times. And I love it. And a lot of times I'll say, I don't have the answer, but let's explore that together. Uh, it's a beautiful thing for this curiosity. I also want to say this. A lot of times when we get around this, um, it gets negative really fast. And um, we're going to get into practical things next week about how to do this well, okay? This is just more of a high view this week. Um, I want to encourage you or maybe shepherd you or um, whatever phrasing you want to use. When you're in this process, 
keep away from negativity. A lot of times what I see people do is they begin to question certain things and, and all of a sudden they'll feel enlightened about something and then look to someone else who used to think the same way as they did and now you start looking down on them. I've seen people do this with their parents. Like their, their parents might think a certain way about something and, and now that they've like kind of feel enlightened and they, they think that they know more, they look at their parents and like, oh, you don't really know what the Bible says or oh, where I'm coming from is, is like, let's not, let's not do that. Okay. So let's stay positive in this. And so even when I think about the language around doubting and even the term deconstruction, it, it, I, even though I use it, it, it does feel a little bit on the negative side of things. Even some um, phrasings of like, I don't know if some of you guys have heard this, like ex exvangelicals, you know, as a, this phrasing of people that have left the evangelical church. And even those phrases, they seem negative. They seem um, because you're taking on like an identity that's like separating yourself from other things. And so there's an element of that that maybe not the healthiest thing, but the idea of deconstructing, I think, is important. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually move us towards a term here in just a second that I would love to see us, rather than using the phrase deconstruction, I want us to have a different phrase, but I'll get there in just a second. Now, what causes us to want to doubt or, or what causes us maybe this crisis in faith? Because when I told you that the numbers are decreasing more and more and more and more, if you take the boomers out of the, the, you know, boomers are, are, I think, 52 and up right now. I think um, if you take them out of the equation in terms of how, what percentage of people are attached to church, that 47% number plummets, okay? I mean, it, it, it plummets. And Gen Z, growing up, the older Gen Zers are the lowest uh, in terms of percentage-wise of being attached to church, the lowest we've ever had in the history of our nation. And so, so it's important then being to see, like, well, what causes these crises? We've got to like take a look at this like, and, and understand this a little bit better because a lot of times there's a season where you might think like, oh, it's, it's apologetics. We just got to defend the faith. And, and, and maybe there, that was true at certain points. Um, or maybe we just thought like, well, if we just wait this out, like people will want to come back. And, and maybe there was a time where that might have worked. Or maybe if we do um, like churches that have like, like all the light shows and make it really fancy and all the haze and all this stuff and make it like a huge production. Like we'll attract people that way. That worked for a season. That season's gone, by the way. Um, but there's, there's something that needs to shift in this. But we also need to understand this a little bit better. So I listed out, this is not a complete list, okay? The, but this, but this are, these are some of the things that have created this crisis in faith for people. Um, number one, uh, info over wisdom. Now here's our information over wisdom the internet, all right? You can learn whatever you want or maybe think you're learning stuff on the internet and you can search and everyone can have an opinion and everything else. Everyone's got a blog, everyone's got a tweet, everything. And some of that's great, okay? Um, some of it stinks. And, uh, I, but here's what we've done. And, and listen, I've seen some of you all like things and repost things that I think to myself, you are crazy, okay? And here's why I say that. Sometimes something sounds good on the front end because it's good information, but it actually isn't good wisdom. And we've got to learn how to like differentiate and discern between those things of what is just simply information and what is actual 
wisdom. And a lot of times wisdom comes with experience, um, discernment of, of an understanding of God's will. Um, you need, you, you, there's a lot that goes into to wisdom and, and what happens. And so right now there's just a lot of information. And when you get inundated with a lot of information, it can cause a crisis in your faith because you can't take a step back and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's, the, what's the wise thing here? Is this really wisdom. I think another thing is uh, um, an actual life crisis. You you go through something really, really significant in your life and it causes you to doubt. Uh, a family member dies unexpectedly and you think to yourself, I've been doing everything right. God, why would you allow this to happen? Or I can't catch a break. This has been a horrible season for me and I can't catch a break. And I've, we've walked with people through this and I get it. I understand it. It, it totally makes sense. Um, are there logical answers sometimes to people's questions? Yeah, there are. Sometimes there aren't, right? And it comes down to do I trust God or not? And sometimes like I sit there in, in some of these meetings and, and I have like a really good answer, but sometimes you just got to let people go through it and you stay with them in the process, all right? And, and be with them in the exploration and the doubt rather than always trying to have a question or an answer to the question. In this life crisis, like think about the pandemic that happened. Um, crisis is always revealing something. Um, I think this pandemic has revealed how unhealthy we are relationally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Um, that's certainly done that. But then what happens with what's revealed, right? And so I, it can cause though this, this thing in our faith, in our spirituality. I think even when we see um, the crisis within ministry, uh, we, we've this kind of lumps into the, the other one there, the celebrity culture. But we've seen very um, famous, quote-unquote famous in the Christian circles, um, people have really epic falls. And you, you might say something like, I thought Ravi Zacharias was one of the greatest thinkers of, in, Christian, um, in Christianity. Look what he did to all those women and everything else. That's why I can't ever do anything with the Bible. And we, we should pause for a second and be like, I get it. Or, or the, the way that, you know, we've seen churches um, over the past several decades, like hide um, sexual abuse. Like, and, and like it comes out, you know, years and years later and it's like, we get it. Like it, it makes sense why that would cause a crisis in your faith. Um, life transitions is another one. We begin to see, uh, you know, if you're going from high school to college or college to graduating, or maybe you're getting married or maybe you're having a kid, or maybe you're in a state uh, uh, where you're, you're moving somewhere else. Like it, it, those transitions can cause it. Personal sovereignty is um, a big one uh, that I see a lot is this idea you're obsessed with doing what you want to do. Uh, you want to find your own truth. Um, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. I, by the way, I hate that. But anyway, um, there, uh, you're obsessed with doing uh, what you wh what you want to do. And this isn't new either. Uh, in Judges 21, 25, um, this isn't on the screen, but uh, it, it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Like this, so that's why I love the Bible. Like sometimes people are like, man, the Bible doesn't relate to right now. And I'm like, no, 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 that was written thousands of years ago and we are living it right now. So maybe we should go see what it says and what actually is going to be our future. Uh, another one, celebrity culture that you see there. Um, the fact that there's a site called Preachers and Sneakers um, to essentially poke at the level to which a lot of pastors and stuff are engaging wearing $500 sneakers or $1,000 sneakers or whatever. The celebrity status and wanting to be verified and wanting to like all of that stuff um, is no different than secular culture. All, like none of that leads to like a healthiness in our own hearts or mind or anything. And so there's no separation. So when people start seeing that, 
they're like, why would I want anything to, to do with that? It's no different than what I see everywhere else. I think nationalism has been um, a big deal. Um, you can't, listen, I get patriotism. Patriotism and nationalism are, are different things. And you can like where you live and all that stuff. I'm not saying not to. Um, but you, you cannot take the teachings of Jesus and match them up with nationalism. You, you just can't. And I don't know how else to, to say that. You, you just can't do it. And so when people see this nationalistic thought and behavior, they're looking at that and they're saying, that's not Jesus. And if you keep fighting for nationalism and attaching Christianity to a political party, and I don't care what political party it is, and I don't care who you voted for, if you keep attaching Christianity to it, people who actually study Jesus and see Jesus for what he taught are going to say, like, this doesn't match up. I don't want this version of Jesus that you're talking about. I want the real, authentic version of Jesus. Hypocrisy is another one. Um, have you ever thought about this? In Matthew 25, um, Jesus actually says that you and I will be judged by how we treat the poor and the marginalized and those suffering injustice. Have you ever thought about that? And we don't talk a lot about that, and we don't think about that a lot, and we don't, you know, we like to talk about all these other things about what people are doing, but Man, what Jesus actually says is, you know how I'm going to judge you? Um, how you treat the poor, the marginalized, and those suffering injustice. And so, man, it's crazy that when we see injustice in our world, um, that we'd rather fight about ideology um, uh, or fight about a certain perspective rather than maybe pausing for a second and actually lamenting and mourning the injustice people are suffering. And, um, and so, th there's again, when people read Jesus, they're like, where are the Christians in the lament, in the mourning? And genuine mourning leads to action. And so, and so we see all these things. It's like, no, the Christians would rather pull, you know, pull little scripture verses and none of them actually relate to Jesus and, and fight about ideology rather than actually getting in and making a difference. And so they see this hypocrisy um, that's there. And I mean, think about this. Even Jesus teaches like that his people should be unified. How unified are, you, are we when we have 40,000 Protestant denominations? I don't know. So I could see where someone's like processing all of this and being like, this doesn't feel like it matches up. Um, abuse is another one. And that can be spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, physical or sexual abuse that we've seen can cause the crisis. And then uh, meritocracy. So you might, be, you might be like, what? That's just the idea that everyone gets ahead based on mastery or accomplishments. Um, this is the American way, is it not? Or the American myth. And, and what ends up happening when we begin to think about this is Part of the reason that people push away from the things of Jesus is because how we kind of were raised in the American culture is like, if you, you will get ahead by your accomplishments. If you master something, you kind of elevate yourself. That's like the antithesis of Christianity and following Jesus. So you can see why sometimes it's really hard for people that are successful at things and everything. And, and sometimes we, we put out a few, you know, they'll, they'll start thinking like, well, I wasn't as, I was more happy when I was just doing my own thing than trying to have this idea of being with Jesus. And so we see how sometimes this can cause uh, the divide. So what do we do? We, we, I'm trying to explain, again, higher view of all the causes. Again, there's more than just this, but a lot of the causes, a lot of the thinking of the state of our church, um, state of the church in America, this idea of Nazareth, everything else. Um, what about deconstruction? What do we do? And here's what I want us to do. Rather than thinking about deconstructing, um, Matt and I, are, you know, we have the podcast, um, Stay Curious. And, and one of the things we were talking about around deconstruction was the problem with deconstruction is a lot of times people think, well, I have to reconstruct something else. Well, if you reconstruct something else, you're just going to tear that thing down <laughs> again at some point. So my thought was, 
maybe we should think about the idea of renewal, that maybe that should be the language we should start using. Um, I want to renewal because when it's about renewal, that you will inherently then want to be like seeing more of God in your life. Look, look at what happens here in John chapter three. Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus who uh, he knows all the scripture. He knows the ins and outs of the faith and everything. And, and he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born, which is hopefully sarcasm. Um, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Now, there's a lot in this passage that relates to the Old Testament and everything, but I want to I want to hone in a little bit on this idea of renewal. Henry Nouwen said this, getting answers isn't the goal of the Christian life. Living in God's presence is. And that is a really big deal in our experience as Christians. A lot of times when we begin to explore or doubt or deconstruct, and that's why I want to move us towards renewal because renewal is this entering into his presence. This renewal is this more, this has, has this idea of like, I'm not trying to just get answers to everything. I'm, I'm trying to engage his presence more. And so, so what does this look like then? Um, honestly, what we saw there is it's spirit, it's spirit led, right? It's spirit led. So, Jesus is saying, like, listen, you can't just earn your way, accomplish your way um, to this. You, you've got to be born again. Like this, there's a, a newness, a new creation, a new humanity. Um, there's a, a spirit that moves in you. It's not about you. It's about the work of the spirit in us. And that spirit will convict us of truth. That spirit will or lead us to truth. That spirit is like... Um, the beauty of the Spirit as it's moving is it's like the wind. And so the way the Spirit worked in my life, probably different than the way it worked in your life. And, and that could be different than the way it worked over here. And so sometimes we're like, no, the, the Spirit only works this way. And, and no, the, the Spirit actually is like the wind. It works in a lot of different ways. Um, the second thing that we see here, because again, Nicodemus was super smart, super smart. Um, whole um, self-discovery. All right. This was about the whole self. So it's not just the focus on me. A lot of times we, um, when we go through this process, we start, we're just like, I'm going to focus on me. It's like, no, I want the whole self. And part of the whole self is how we're also engaging others. But when we think through the whole self, and again, this idea of born again, and that everything begins to change, um, there's this part about our EQ goes up. We're not just flowing out of emotional experiences. I love a good worship song that gets you going, right? And makes gives you all the feels. But I don't want to just go from emotional experience to emotional experience. Like, like good, solid, and being emotionally healthy is about our self-discovery. It's why we do so much um, and our aligning track with discipleship is about self-discovery and understanding. We can't know the will of God until we know like what's actually going on in our own mind, right? And so it's important for us to begin to discover that. And here's the third thing that we see. Um, genuine truth seeking. All right? Genuine truth seeking. Now, here's what I've seen. At times... Conservative Christians um, don't, appreciate, don't appreciate the nuance in Scripture, and progressive Christians don't appreciate the authority of Scripture. The, 
the Bible in and of itself is this living, breathing document. There's all these things that link into different ways. I'm going to talk about this even more um, next week, but it's, 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 unbelievable when you really start digging in that some of the language that they use is very specific to point you to something else in the scripture that happened, you know, hundreds of years before that, or a specific word, or the root of the word is connected to another root of the word. And unless we engage and study and learn and continue to grow, we can take some of these verses and can we take them out of context. And we begin to see like, oh, this is about this, but really what the writer is pointing to is something very different than what we think that it is. And it's going to happen a, a lot. And, and we miss out on the nuance of scripture. Um, I was in a conversation talking about violence in the Bible and someone was saying, well, what about all the violence in the Bible? Like, um, what, what do you do with all that? And I asked them, did, did God say that the violence was good? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay. So maybe there's more to the story of what was going on there than we even realize. And maybe, what if, what if, Part of that story is understanding, um, this guy Greg Boyd said it this way, um, he said, what if the Bible, one of the main points of the Bible is getting the reader to understand and get us to see that humans keep doing things the wrong way and we get to keep seeing that. that so to, for us to be able to see like, man, maybe part of the Bible is us seeing like, oh, they got it wrong like that too, just like I'm getting it wrong. And that is the continuous way of humanity and how does God speak into that? And so, so my point is even when looking at violence, you could take certain things about what we see in the Old Testament and take it out of context. But when you inject Jesus into it, you're like, hold on a second, this doesn't match up how I think. And so appreciating the nuance of scripture is important. But I would also say to some of you, my progressive, more progressive friends out there, do not neglect the authority of scripture. A lot of times what I'll see in progressive Christianity is you let culture dictate what's happening within the context of how you see scripture rather than scripture infusing how you see culture. And what ends up happening is you let culture be the authoritative word in your life rather than what scripture is. And why do we want the authority of the Bible in our lives? It's because Jesus, who is the ultimate authority, saw the word, saw, saw scripture as authoritative. He taught from it. Okay, and then those people that wrote after Jesus took the teachings of Jesus and allowed the teachings of Jesus to be authoritative. And then in the, in what was put in the Bible became authoritative for the Christian community. So it is important that we begin to see the authority of Scripture. Um, when I process seeking out truth, um, I just wrote this down. I said, to genuinely seek out truth, we need both nuance and authority. So I want to end with this. When we're seeking out truth, we're seeking out godly perspective. So here's what we need to always challenge. A lot of times, again, in this deconstruction and renewal process, we always are trying to, it seems like, take things down of Christianity. But it's always fascinating to me because like Paul writes in Colossians 2, uh, verse 8, and then um, he writes in um, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5, he, he writes that, Christians should be trying to essentially deconstruct worldly ideology. And so it's interesting how often, though, people are doing it towards Christianity, but not actually doing it towards the way the world thinks. And so it's important then, I get it, like freely question certain things, how you were raised and all that stuff. Do that. Like, I, it's awesome. I've done it and still do it to this day. Um, but also look at the way the world thinks and be like, yeah, but I want to deconstruct that too. Like, that's what we're taught to do uh, throughout um, Scripture. So you probably have a really good reason to why um, maybe you're doubting or maybe you've had this crisis of faith and maybe you're, and, and listen, I want to I encourage you in that. I, I don't want to even be dismissive of it. You probably have a very good reason. And, and so 
keep doubting, keep questioning, keep asking. Um, I'm going to tune in next week too because I want to give some practical ways to do that that I think are helpful to keep you connected to taking steps towards real truth, taking steps towards real love, taking steps towards um, Jesus in the midst of that. And so I think it's important for all of us to do that. Let me pray for us. God, I just want to... We know you can handle it. We know that you can... When it comes to our questions, you, you're good. Like, and so my hope, God, is that we will have a level of humility that leads us to curiosity. We would be open-handed with the Spirit of God moving within us, that we would certainly hold true to who you are and your death and resurrection and what that means in our lives, but that we would be willing to be curious about everything else and what does it really mean to, to love you well, to love ourselves well, to love others uh, really well, and through that, have this constant renewal in our minds and our hearts that leads us to uh, looking way more like what you taught. Um, that when people see our lives, they think to themselves, man, that, is, that looks just like what Jesus taught because that's what we should be aiming towards and nothing less than that. We do this to you in your name we pray. Amen.